Hello there, and welcome to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. My name is Richard Frankowitz, and I'm the Youth Director here at Sardis Fellowship. To find info on our speaker and series, please check the podcast description. Thanks for listening, and enjoy! We're in Galatians. I, I hope that you're enjoying this if you've been a part of it, because not just enjoyment for like enjoyment's sake, but enjoyment for inspiration's sake, for encouragement, for clarity. As we said at the beginning of this series, that we want three things to happen. That one, those of us maybe who have understood this message, it would be refreshed, and we wouldn't waver on what the gospel is, that we would know what it is. And that if there's people that are coming here on a Sunday morning, and you're not quite sure yet, what is this whole thing about faith in Jesus all about, that it would come clear for you? That you would put your faith and trust in Christ. And then the third one is that for all of us, every single one of us, as we look at this incredible grace of God and this gospel of grace that Paul so preached to the Galatian people, that each and every one of us would become more grace-filled people. That we would emulate the grace of Christ to those around us, to those who choose to come into this place, to those that we meet when we're working or at school or wherever we go that we would be people filled with grace. And so that's our our hope for this series. Both my parents came to trust in Jesus as their savior in their early to mid-20s. Therefore, I had the privilege of growing up in a Christian home and going to church anytime the doors were open. And back then, the doors were open a lot. You know how that went, right? Sunday morning, Sunday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Friday night, and uh, often on Saturdays. There was so much going on. And my parents... um, would share a phrase, and maybe you've heard this phrase too. We're not saved by works, we're saved by faith. Did you ever hear that? I'm sure you have. We are saved by faith alone. That was an emphasis in my home growing up. Of course, it comes from the reformers in the 16th century, the just shall live by faith. You've probably heard that phrase before. For years, I did not really own this truth. I did not even really kind of comprehend what what it was trying to say, which maybe you don't either, and that's okay, because this morning we're going to be looking at that. Um, I was familiar with it as a phrase, and I would say in time, I did come to own this. It did move from kind of an understanding in my head to a willful following of Christ through faith in my heart, from knowledge to experience. We are not saved by our good works, nor are we saved by faith in Jesus plus our good works. And I think sometimes we slip over that line a little bit to think that way. That Jesus did this much, but I better do something here just to make sure. We are saved solely on the basis of faith in Jesus. And that can be hard for us. We are creatures who like to do. We are creatures that like to prove. We constantly try to validate ourselves. And in this particular situation, we have nothing to offer to the equation. So can I ask you a question? Are you, a, are you a good person? Pretty good person. How good? Are you, uh, are you better than the person sitting beside you? Now, that's a little unfair because probably half of you are married and you're looking at your spouse and you know your spouse's weaknesses better than anyone else. So that was just an unfair question. Um, let me rephrase it here. Uh, let's do something a little more fair. <clears throat> are you better than me? Well, I'd say you have a pretty good shot at that one. Don't worry. We do this, though, don't we? I mean, we don't talk this way, but I think it kind of gets into our thinking when we start looking at other people who are bad people, and we kind of, all of a sudden, we feel a little better about ourselves, and we're doing this little game where we compare ourselves to each other, and somehow there's this message in there that, well, I'm not really one of the really bad people, and I'm better than some of my other people, that surely God will accept me on that kind of a basis. 
Now, we don't talk like that, but I think it gets into our thinking. There's two camps of people. Actually, there's more, but I'm just going to go with two here this morning. Those that kind of think, sorry, that they're okay or they're good or they're accepted by God because of their goodness. Um, Like I've said, they're not really bad people, so they somehow think that they're okay with God or God's okay with them. The second group of people has an opposite mindset of that. It's almost completely opposite where it's so negative and a condemning voice that says there's no way that God would ever accept me, right? Maybe he loves others and accepts others, but he won't accept me. Why? Well, because quite frankly, I suck. I've tried to make the changes and it hasn't happened. I said I wasn't going to do that, and I did. I said I wasn't going to think that way, I did. I said I wasn't going to act that way, I did. And, um, and so we fall into this idea that there's no way that God could ever accept me. Well, thank you, Kevin. You are multiplying my fish and loaves. <clears throat> but there's a third camp, one that Paul is going to argue for, one that leaves you at peace with God, which neither of those first two do, actually. Um, and so the message that he has for us this morning alleviates us from our self-deception that, oh, me and God, we're good, right? I'm good enough. And it also alleviates us from the other condemning thought that just shouts, there's no way in God's green earth that I'm ever going to make it to heaven. So this message is the just shall live by faith. Um, the phrase in Galatians is the righteous shall live by faith. It means the same thing. So whatever your version says, whether the just or the righteous, it's the exact same thing. And Romans three, or Galatians 3 and 4 is all about this theme. So I can't preach on all of that this morning. You can read all of it if you want, but that's where Paul is going. So what has happened? Let's just do a real ref- quick refresh here. Um, Paul had planted these churches with Barnabas, Barnabas in an area called Galatia, and uh, it's more than one church group, but... After they had believed the gospel and started with believing in Christ, another group of people who had come from Jerusalem had come down and taught them a different message. And the thing that is so shocking to Paul about this is twofold. One, that they're actually dumping the gospel of grace for keeping the law, which Paul is just out of his mind over. They didn't even have a law. They were Gentile believers. They were not Jewish in their heritage, so they didn't even have that law. They knew of it. But they didn't own it for themselves. And now they're dumping the gospel of grace that Paul had preached to go back into law. And secondly, he's shocked because it's happened so quickly. It was less than two years before that he and Barnabas had come through there and planted these churches. He says in Galatians 3.1, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. That's strong language. You foolish Galatians. He's not saying you fools. He's saying this is foolish thinking. Something has gone on here that's caused you confusion. Who has bewitched you? Who's tricked you? Someone has come in to teach you something that sounds good, but it's not. You've been fooled. When Ann and I lived in Bolivia with our kids um, for five years back in the late 1990s, early 2000s, it was hard to find quality items. You would go to the market and you would always come home with stuff that was just junk. I mean, we think we get junk here in our dollar stores. Let me tell you, there's a whole nother level. So I'm at the market and I see the quality Duracell batteries, the black copper batteries. And I grab them because I cannot believe that finally we got Duracell batteries in Bolivia. And I pick up those batteries and I take a look and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Durabell. (laughs) 
Who has tricked you to believe that keeping the law is the real deal? It's not. Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Now, this is interesting because they were not present at the crucifixion of Christ. It was Paul who brought them this message. But here's what you need to understand by that word portrayed. What he's saying is that I did not just give you a declaration of something. It wasn't just a statement, Jesus died for your sins. Paul had painted a picture. The idea is that he hung up a poster. He didn't just put a notice in writing. It was a picturesque description of what Christ went through on our behalf in order that you could be saved by grace. Everything you needed was done on that cross. And Paul had painted this picture for them. And, and he's like, I cannot believe that you, who had encountered so clearly this portrayal of the crucifixion of Christ, are now willing to say, it's not worth anything. I'm going to go back to the law. I can do better in essence, because I'm going to do it through the keeping the law. Paul is shocked by this. Who would want that? In Corinthians 15, it accounts, gives an account of these people who were doing this. Uh, pardon me. Um, that's Acts 15. That's going to come in a moment. This is 1 Corinthians 15. We might wonder, what is this gospel that Paul is so concerned that, you know, they, that he portrayed for them that they're, they're missing out on? Um, Paul preached a gospel squarely focused on Jesus, and 1 Corinthians 15 kind of speaks to that. He says to those churches, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel which I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. You've believed for nothing. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance that Christ, which is Jesus, died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, who is Peter, and then to the twelve, the disciples. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep, which means they've died. Then he appeared to James, this is Jesus' brother, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also to one abnormally born, meaning that chronologically, Paul happened after those original apostles who witnessed all of these things, but Christ came to Paul. The good news that Paul preached to the Galatians was centered on the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what he portrayed to them, that he's going, how can you be giving up on that when that is the essence of your salvation, of your experience? They've been bewitched. Someone has cast a spell over them so as to confuse them in their thinking. Have you ever been to those fairs where they have like a hypnotist that gets those people up on stage? You're never going to get me to do that, but you know, that guy has power over them. He's bewitched them so that now he can make them do things or think things that are not their own. And Paul's saying, who's, who's tricked you? Who's deceived you to believe that this is the gospel when it's no gospel at all? The people came, this is Acts 15, um, into the region. This one is to the city of Antioch, but the same, it gives the same idea. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch. Now, they came from Judea, meaning they came from Jerusalem. They came from the church that was in Jerusalem, but they were not sent by the church in Jerusalem. So don't misunderstand that part. They came from there because they wanted to go and undo the teaching of the apostle Paul, but they weren't sent by that church. They were a legalistic group within the church in Jerusalem. And they come 
to Antioch and were teaching believers, note this, unless you are circumcised, which was part of the law for the, the men, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Do you see that? Unless you cannot be saved. Well, Paul has just given them the gospel that you are saved outside of the law. By what? By faith in Jesus Christ. And this is where their confusion has begun. The gospel was now faith in Jesus plus adhering to the law of Moses. And Paul's like, it doesn't work that way. There is no faith plus when it comes to salvation. No faith plus. Now, are works good? You better believe it. But works are not what saves you. They follow from your salvation. And Paul is trying to help them keep that straight. That when it comes to understanding, how is it that we come into God's family? How is it that we are made right with God, put right with God? How is it that he, God, accepts me, a sinner? It is through faith in what Christ did on the cross, nothing else. Galatians 3.10 says, and this is Paul's concern, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Well, that seems extreme. Because it's written in the law, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Well, that's why it's a curse. It's a curse because it's impossible. You can't do this. What are you doing thinking that you're now starting by the spirit and now going to go back to the flesh and try to complete this? You see, it's all or nothing. You can't mix these two. You can't say, well, you know, I'll have Jesus and I'll have my works and, and together package them and I get saved. It doesn't work like that. It works by understanding that it's only by the gospel of Christ, through grace. So what he's going to do is say, let's remember your experience that you had. And so in the next few verses, we're going to see this. He said, I want to ask you some questions. And he's got like four or five of them here. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? It's a rhetorical question. Obviously, it was by believing what they'd heard, what Paul had preached to them. Are you so foolish? After beginning by this means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? You get that, right? So you had a conversion experience. You had a moment where you understood in your head and with your heart you received Christ. He came into your life and the Holy Spirit came into your life. That's how it started. And now you're going to say, no, 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 no. I'm turning away from that. I'm going to finish this by the flesh. I'm going to finish this by keeping the law. That's impossible. And then he says, have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? In other words, what you encountered by way of God's forgiveness, by way of the presence of God through the Holy Spirit in your life, was that really for nothing? Was that not real in your life? They know it. They had experienced salvation in a very dramatic way because he gives ev evidence to this in his next comment. So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law? or by your believing what you heard. Again, it's by believing what they heard. The experience they had of the presence of the Holy Spirit manifesting, the Holy Spirit manifesting himself in certain ways that were very evident. Signs and wonders, which was common in the early church where there were even miracles accompanied with that. And Paul's saying, how did that take place? Are you trying to tell me that the law produces that kind of power to change a life, to save a life, to take a person out of death and into life, to uh, heal people. Are you saying the law has that kind of power? It does not. The only thing the law can do is tell you when you get it wrong, tell you when you fail. The law condemns you. It's the Spirit of God who changes lives. It's the Spirit of God who has given us the gift because of what Christ did on the cross. 
and they're willing to give that up. After Paul reminds them of their personal experience of this in their own, you know, testimony, you might say, he then goes to God's word and he lays out a few arguments, you might say. If you read the rest of chapter 3 and into chapter 4, you're going to get a lot of kind of Old Testament Jewish ideas that take a little bit to weigh through. Not all of them are complicated. Some of them are. And I'm not going to go into all of them today. I'm going to choose two. I'm going to choose Abraham as one of uh, Paul's examples that he gives next in his argument. Um, and then the law and the giving of the law. So let's start with Abraham. Um, what did Abraham do to be declared right with God? And when did this happen? That will be the essence of his next 12, 14 verses. What did Abraham do, and when did that happen? Abraham, as you probably know, was the father of the Jewish nation. Um, he was the one who God had called out to take his family and go into a land that was not his own, called Canaan, which would eventually become the land of Israel, the promised land. And uh, Abraham, in faith, followed God, even though he didn't know exactly what was, what was in front of him or what was going to happen. So there was an act of faith where he stepped out. Through that, the people of Israel, the lineage from Abraham, took great pride in the fact that they were the descendants biologically, physically from Abraham. And with that came the promise of Abraham, came the fact that if he was chosen by God and God blessed him, that we are the chosen blessed nation. And so they kind of had this arrogance about this and they looked down on everyone else that was not of Jewish descent. Paul says this. So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. What was the gospel? All nations will be blessed through you. All nations. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. What did Abraham do? He believed God. Now, you know, I always, when I was a kid, I didn't understand this at all. I, under, I did a lot of reading as a kid. I was in Sunday school class as a kid. I knew the Jewish people, and I knew they had a lot of pride. If you get into the New Testament, Jesus is arguing with the Pharisees, and they're saying, our father Abraham, and Jesus is saying, you don't know your father. And so there's a lot of this kind of emphasis put on Abraham and the role and the identity with them and all that sort of thing. It was an aha moment for me in my teen years when I realized, wait a minute. I am of the faith of Abraham. I have something that Abraham has. I'm not a Jewish person, but I have what Abraham has. I have the faith of Abraham. And that was a, a very uh, significant moment for me. But maybe you don't know the story, and so let me just kind of say, well, what was it exactly that Abraham did that God said, I declare you righteous? Okay, what did he do that righteousness was accredited to him? What did he believe? When Abraham and Sarah were already old, and Sarah was well beyond childbearing years, God came to Abraham and, in a vision, and he told him that he was going to make him into a great nation, and then additionally, that all nations will be blessed through you. Okay, so Abraham, you're going to be a great nation, but all nations will be blessed through you. The challenge, of course, was the fact that they were elderly. But it says that Abraham believed God. So in other words, Abraham simply took God at face value. That's what belief is. That's what trust is. Taking God's word, believing it. And Abraham did that. And when he did that, it was credited to him as righteousness. Later on, in Galatians 3, Paul's going to talk about 
the seed of Abraham. And it was thought maybe plurally that the people of the nation of Israel are the seed of Abraham. Well, biologically they are. But Paul is going to argue singularly, it's the seed of Abraham through whom the promise comes. Well, what is this all? This is Jesus, he says. It's Christ who is the seed of Abraham. And through Christ, every single person in Christ is included in Abraham. And so this was the line of argument that he was giving, that you are Gentile people. And when Abraham had faith well before the law was put in place, 430 years before the law came around, God, by his belief, accredited to him righteousness. And he's saying to these Gentile people, why are you putting so much trust in the law? You're not going to be saved by that. You're going to be saved on the same principle that Abraham was made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ. So that's the idea. 430 years before. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And that's you and me here this morning. We are the same people. We, we come to God in the same way in which Abraham did, in the same way that Paul pre preached to the Galatian people. In the same way today we come to God is through faith in Jesus Christ. There is no other answer. Now, this idea would have knocked most of the Jewish people off of their stools. How was it that Paul could preach that the Gentiles were in, that they were equally children of God, equally children of Abraham? And Paul would simply say it's because they share the same faith as Abraham. You got that? And for us, that's good news. Paul's point in convincing the Galatian people is that they experienced this gift, this inheritance that was promised to Abraham. God said, I will make you a great nation and I will bless all nations through you, through the seed, Abraham, your seed, Jesus Christ, will come this blessing. What is this blessing? This blessing is that all people who trust in Jesus will be saved, will be forgiven, will be cleansed, will be made right with God, put right with God. That's what justification means. That's what righteousness means. That's what it means to be just, is to be put right with God. That inheritance is for all people who believe in Jesus Christ. Wow. That's what the gospel is. That's why it's good news. You can't earn it. I can't earn it. The only thing we can do is trust Jesus and what he did for each of us. Galatians 3.11 is our key verse. Clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. You'll see that little letter, I think it's an F. That's a footnote. If you're new to the Christian faith and you're reading your Bible and you see these little letters, it's a footnote, which means you go down and you find the footnote. And if you do that, you'll see that it's a footnote to the Old Testament. That The Apostle Paul is quoting one of the Old Testament prophets, uh, Habakkuk, and he takes that phrase and he brings it forward. And actually three times, again in Romans and again in Hebrews, that this phrase comes out. So it's a very significant phrase. What does it mean? This is the same phrase, the righteous shall live by faith, that changed Martin Luther's life. Um, not Martin Luther King Jr., sometimes people get confused. This is Martin Luther, the German reformer who lived in the 16th century, that Martin Luther. And uh, his story kind of goes like this. I'll give you a quick thumbnail sketch of his life because it changed his perspective from works to grace. Um, he was in a storm and uh, he thought he was gonna die 
and so he cries out to God, and he said, if you save my life, I'll become a priest. And um, he didn't die in the storm. And so he comes good on the promise that he did to God, and he enters into studying to become a priest. And he was on his way to becoming a priest. But he bumped up against something. He was so acutely aware of his own sinfulness that he would go to the confession to confess to another priest, and he would just, for two and three and four hours, confess his sins. The problem was, he tired out the priest. He said, come back when you really have something to confess about. This is nonsense. But for Luther, he was so aware of his sin nature that every time he turned around, 501, 502, 503. Like he could count so many things as a sin and, and it weighed heavy on his heart. And what that meant was he was not at peace with God. He could not rest. And if, if the way in which to be saved was to confess everything to make sure I was 100% clean, then he would do it. Why? Because he feared what the consequences of that would be. And so he was confessing and confessing and confessing until he read this verse. The righteous shall live by faith. And when he read that verse, he came to a place of understanding that he no longer had to struggle to try to prove himself to be good enough to be accepted by God. That's the bottom line. And we do that. We struggle with that trying to prove ourselves to be good enough to God. And God says, I've done it all in Jesus. I accept you on the basis of my son. The righteousness of my son is given to you. It's not your righteousness. To be justified means just as if I'd never sinned. A little play on words there. I hope you catch it. That is a true statement. To be justified means to be put right with God. And when you are put right with God, you can be at peace. You can rest. And that's what Martin Luther found. People who are trying to be put right with God by doing good works or keeping the law only deceive themselves. They're trying to polish themselves up and maybe they're doing a pretty good job. But you can't eradicate your sin problem. We merely wear masks, like what Pastor Tim talked about last week. A number of years ago, I was living on the prairies, going to Briarcrest College, and it was a sunny day. I was driving my car, and all the bug splatters had hit my windshield. It was bad. You know how that goes. And so I pulled into a service station, and I said, I'm not getting back out on the road until I really get these things off. And so I, I scrubbed that thing. I bet I was there 10 to 15 minutes scrubbing that windshield until I got it crystal clear. And as I looked at it, I thought I was pretty proud, did a good job, hopped in my vehicle, pulled out of the service station, got on the highway, headed towards the sun, and what do you see? All those little spots. I couldn't believe it. The marks were still there. And then I thought about that as a spiritual analogy. How often we try to clean ourselves up, right? I'm not going to smoke. I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to go with girls that do and all that kind of stuff. And, and we clean ourselves up. And yet there's a problem on the inside. There's still pride and there's still greed and there's still selfishness and there's still lust. And it's all those little marks on the windshield that when you turn that window to the light of the sun, the marks are exposed. And you know, I feel like that's an analogy of the Christian faith that we sometimes try to clean ourselves up <clears throat> and then we turn our lives to the light of God. And what is exposed is all of the true ugliness that is within us. And the point is this, that's what Christ accomplished on the cross. That's what he did. We can put ourselves into clean clothes, but he's the one who can take us on the inside and wash the cup. He's the one who can make us clean. It's his blood that purifies us from all unrighteousness. So to be clear on this, it's not that we become righteous. It's that the righteousness of Jesus Christ is put into my spiritual bank account. That's a big difference, okay? 
It's not like Christians are walking around saying, I'm so righteous. We're walking around saying, I know the one who's righteous. He gave his life. He paid the price that I might be put right with God, accepted by him. And in that message, we can have peace. So the elephant in the room is the Lego block. And I want to thank John Arts, who helped me get this in here. He picked it up with his one finger, you're in that hook in the middle, and carried this 2,500-pound block right down the aisle. No, those doors opened right there, and he had a loader tractor with a telescoping front end. And then three of us with a pallet jack. Okay, there you go. Now I've answered those questions. What is this all about? Remember last week in Tim's message? This one. Pleasing God or trusting God. This is an illustration about trusting God. Because I think, and Pastor Tim did a great job with this, when we are living by law, we're trying to please, we're trying to achieve, it's being done by pride, and then we fail. When we fail, there's shame, we're doing comparison, we're practicing religion, we're actually hypocritical, Uh, we're still in slavery and death. Okay, so that's on the side of law. And then he said, no, in Christ, we scratch out law, it's by grace. Grace is trusting, right there at the top of the list. It's acceptance, we are accepted by God. Humility, forgiveness, joy, contentment, relationship, authenticity, freedom, and life come out of that. I thought that was such a really good thing because it's true to my own experience. When I tip over onto law side and I'm trying to be this thing I know I can't be and I'm not centered in Christ and his grace, those are the things that are true, grace and trusting. And that's what this illustration in front of us is all about. Are we pleasing God or trusting God? Now, this idea came to me many years ago and uh, bear with me if it doesn't work for you, I apologize. I wasted my time getting this 2,500-pound concrete building block right here. For those of you who are listening on the podcast today, um, it's one of those retaining wall concrete blocks because people listen to the podcast and they're not present so they can't see it. So what is this all about? Um, This block represents what Paul has been saying about Jesus Christ, that his death, burial, and resurrection, that block represents that. And he's saying that by trusting in Jesus, you're completely fine. You don't have to fret. You don't have to worry. You don't have to strive. You don't, you don't have to keep trying to keep the law to perfection in order to be accepted by God. It's all right there. It's done in Jesus Christ. That's what that block represents, okay? Jesus. For those of us, there's probably a couple different camps here in the room here today. Some of you have been Christians for a long time, and you know this message well, and it's just a rehearsal. There's others of you that maybe have been a Christian, but you've slipped over into law-keeping, and this is a refresher. And then there's maybe some here in this room who have never really understood what it means to trust in Jesus. This language is foreign, and you're wrestling with that for the first time. And so please track with me here. Um, As someone who grew up in the church and hearing this message often, I think I struggled to understand that grace of Christ. My father didn't. My father was saved when he was 23 years old, and he was called Ron, Ron the Rebel, because he lived a lifestyle that was completely contrary with God. He hated God, and he hated people who loved God, including his brother who led him to Christ, eventually. But the point is this. My dad knew a drastic distinction between before Christ and after Christ. I grew up in the church, and so I think I maybe took grace for granted, because I'd always heard about it. I always understood this message by faith in Jesus Christ. That's what this block represents. But then we come along, we go, okay, well, I'm not sure if it'll support me. Like, it might topple over. Does that sound logical to anyone in this room? No. It will not. I assure you, it took three of us just to budge this thing. 
it's not going anywhere. But we come along and we say, well, I, I think maybe it needs a few supports. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to support this block with a few of my good works, you know. Maybe, um, maybe that includes the fact that I serve, you know, I serve at Ruth and Naomi's mission. That's a good thing. You know, I'm going to trust that that keeps me in God's goodwill. And I'm, I'm, I've got, uh, I don't know, I give to the church. You know, oh, no, that should be a bigger stick. There. Okay, I give to the church. Put that one right there, you know. And, uh, and then the ultimate. How do you know you're saved? How do you know you're made right with God? How do you know that you're righteous enough that God will accept you? Only a hockey stick could represent this one. My baptism. Yeah, my baptism. I'm trusting in my baptism. Okay, Lord, I think I got my bases covered. Appreciate you dying on the cross and all that sort of thing, but kind of helping you out here, God. Is that foolishness? You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? These things don't count. They can't do what you think it's going to do. You can't be perfect. You are not going to be able to add one thing to the rock, Jesus Christ. You're not going to be able to take anything away from it. The only response you can have is to trust or not. And the moment you trust, you realize it's going to support me. It's going to support me all the way through my life. I start with grace, but I live by grace. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. We start with grace and you live by grace. You don't start with grace and then step back into the works of the law. It is the grace of Jesus Christ that saves us and takes us all the way into eternity. That's what we sang about in one of those songs. I'm going to invite the worship team to come at this time. Um, I want to give opportunity as well for someone who's saying, Rod, I think I get that. But I don't know exactly how does this transaction take place. Faith is not a system or a set of hoops you jump through. It is something that happens in your heart between you and God. Now, we can declare our faith. We can verbalize and say, I confess I believe in Jesus Christ. We can get in a baptism tank and be publicly declaring our faith that we're followers of Jesus Christ. But the actual essence of what faith is, is in your heart of hearts saying, I take you, God, at face value. Paul has said, you are saved by the gospel of grace, by faith in Jesus Christ. He's done it all. And you believe, you receive, or you reject. I'd like to pray and then we'll worship. Father, I want to pray for the one here today who's maybe seriously putting this together for the first time. I also want to pray for those in this room that have struggled with grace and law because we do. We really do. Sometimes we do mix this up and sometimes we get things out of order and we put an emphasis in the wrong place. May we never stray from the gospel of Jesus Christ because he did it all on the cross of Calvary. It is finished, he said from the cross, and it was. And we thank you that the promise is true for us today as it was for the Galatians, as it was for Abraham. We trust in you. Help us to do that and then give us your peace. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please check out sardisfellowship.com. Have a great day and God bless.